0: This is Fire Rescue One Side Alpha Podcast, putting fire service leaders in front of hot topics facing firefighters today. Now, here's the executive editor of FireRescue1.com and FireChief.com, Chief Mark Basore. This is Mark Basore, executive editor for Fire Rescue One and FireChief.com. Thanks for joining us on this edition of Fire Rescue One's Side Alpha Podcast. I'm here today with Chief Jason. He is chief of the Laramie County, Wyoming, Fire District Number 2, just outside of Cheyenne, Wyoming. Uh, Jason is also one of our new colonists at Fire Rescue 1, writing for us on a multitude of issues. Jason, thanks for joining us today.
1: Absolutely. It's my honor. Thank you for having me in.
0: So, Jason... Uh, you lead an organization that, uh, we, as we were talking uh, before we started, about four stations, and um, you took uh, over there some time ago as chief, and the majority of the employees are volunteers. You are uh, essentially a bedroom community of Cheyenne, Wyoming. What are some of the challenges of leading a volunteer fire department that you experienced?
1: Well, I market it. Uh It starts out with a lot of things. One, developing and growing the culture inside of an organization. You know, for many years, the volunteer fire service um, trudged along in their communities with limited response capabilities and limited opportunities to grow. And over the last decade, actually probably the last two decades, the volunteer fire departments have changed significantly with the demand on service for their communities. So keeping up with the growth, keeping up with recruiting new members, keeping up with trying to develop a financial plan to support the expense of providing service to our community are all significant challenges. And then you throw in there the generational challenges and the social economic challenges that our communities are facing as they uh, grow and evolve. Uh, All those things impact emergency services and specifically um, the volunteer service because of the financial distress on them.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I started in the volunteer service 39 years ago before uh, being paid, and that was still very heavily a fundraising time from car washes and bake sales and um, you know, basket sales, all kinds of those things. So very familiar with the challenges of the fire service back then, and I think that a lot of people lose sight of the fact that there are still a lot of predominantly volunteer departments, especially in the Midwest, that still depend on a lot of fundraising. So I suspect that's still a significant challenge for you, is not just from a tax perspective, but just physical fundraising.
1: Absolutely. The, uh, the fundraising world's changed, too, because a lot of our communities aren't that small-town, homegrown feel anymore. They become suburban communities to other um, cities. They become, like you said, bedroom communities. So you lose that community feel and sense of pride in your fire department as a citizen that lives in a fire protection area or a volunteer fire service area because there's nothing to identify with. You know, you look at our name of our organization. We're Laramie County Fire District Number 2. We share that name with nine other volunteer fire districts in Laramie County versus let's say the city of cheyenne it has an identity it has the name and so the people that are moving into the county assume that their fire service is from the city of cheyenne so we lose that community feel in a lot of those volunteer organizations and i think nationally there's about 80 percent of the fire service is still some former volunteer Um, so it is a significant challenge for many of us in the service
0: yeah and you know, with that challenge, uh, we've seen it. We've all seen not only the uh, increase in call volume, but also the increase in uh, training requirements, whether it's NFPA or other requirements that just seems like it's gone through the roof as far as the requirements of hours and uh, the statutory issues, all of the things that come along with that. So um, it's absolutely difficult, not just for fundraising, but also for finding people who just physically have the time. And then, then you bring in. You mentioned the cultural differences of, of uh, the uh, the demographics, the time that we're in. Whether it's Generation X, the generational issues. Whether it's Generation X or uh, Y or whatever it is, a lot of um, a lot of those different uh, cultures and generations bring different ideas and uh, different ways of doing things to the business. And that uh, creates a challenge towards managing the ethical behavior of people because there's what was originally just this closed group of uh, uh, volunteer fire service years and years ago is now impacted by all these different cultures. And managing that ethical uh, balance is something that I imagine is still very difficult on the volunteer service, we see it a lot. We see a lot of uh, um, folks that step outside the bounds. Can you talk for a minute about the difficulties of managing those uh, those ethical problems that we see as lapses in a lot of places across
1: the country, paid or volunteer, but in this case, talking about volunteer. Yeah, I think um, you hit a, a really touchy subject, especially with the conditions of our society nowadays, with social media and the immediate Um, effect of what people say, write, or show. You know, Mark, I'm, I'm a little bit younger than you in the fire service, only 25 years. But you think back 25 years ago, for us to share what we were doing in a fire department in any part of the country, you either had to write an article or you had to attend a national trade show to share that information of what you were doing. Today, things are shared instantaneously, whether you want them to or not. Uh, through social media. And for us as an organization, trying to lead the right behaviors of that really made us focus on our culture. And uh, by focusing our culture and teaching culture to our members what it means to be a part of fire district number two, uh, we started to instill values of, hey, that's not good behavior. It's not good to wear the, the duty t-shirt to a social event where there's alcohol or and it's not good to post something negative about another agency or another firefighter or another service on social media. So the challenge becomes one developing that culture and getting buy into the culture and then two is, is supporting it and reinforcing it so that when you do have someone that maybe stretches the boundaries of what's um, what's ethical in your organization, or what's responsible for your organization, to be able to take action on those. And that's that designated adult that we talk about in our organization, that that we need designated adults at all levels of of our service. So even the newest volunteer in our newest academy, there's got to be a designated adult in there that maintains um, our priorities and our values for our organization, and thus,
0: yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and, you know, what you're touching on is the public trust and yep. uh, the the public expects and deserves that the people who are coming to their time of need, their their worst time of need, uh, that they can trust. Those people who are coming with uh, the the level of trust, honor and ethics to the organization Um that uh, they expect and and deserve. So I know that's difficult, and I, um, you know, I did a a video a while back about uh, social media, and uh, that maybe it's it's time for some people to make the conscious decision to back away from the keyboard, and um, think about things twice, and walk away once, and uh, hopefully that advice. Uh, resonates with uh, you and, and your staff um, and the volunteers that you lead there. That uh, sometimes it's it, you, people have to realize it's a lot bigger than them and a lot bigger than what they may consider a little issue. And uh, the community needs us to focus on doing our job, not focus on the social media.
1: Yeah, we talk about uh, Bruno used to give us a quote uh, when he would do his travels, and we spent a lot of time with Chief Brunissini, and he would say, "If it feels good." you might want to think about what you're doing because some of those comments on social media sometimes make you feel good at the moment, but you'll regret the moment you press send. And I think uh, I hear Chief Brunacini's voice in the back of my head giving us that quote on occasion.
0: Yeah. Um, And, you know, you you touched on uh, Brunacini there, and I know a while back you wrote an article for us Uh, uh, titled uh, uh, Brunacini as the voice of reason. Um, Can you touch a little bit on Chief Brunacini's impact for you and for the fire service in general and how that can help uh, others, as we just talked about, in uh, managing that ethical behavior?
1: Yeah, I don't know if I could do justice about talking about Chief Brunacini, but I can tell you the impact he had on me. And that was early in my career. I did an internship with Phoenix Fire Department where I lived in Station 8 right downtown Phoenix and and got to spend three months living in that station. And from there, became very good friends with with the chief. And uh, like he did with thousands of other fire service professionals, influenced us. And Bruno always had this ability to point out the obvious that we were missing. He simplified very complex issues and problems and he brought it back to the focus of the customer. And I think for me in our organization, we try to do that same process is that we balance everything we're doing back to how does it serve the customer, both internally as in our volunteers, but also externally with our community and our mutual aid partners and our law enforcement partners and our EMS partners. Um, so, you know, Bruno, Bruno continues to influence our organization on a daily basis. And, uh, And we hope that that we're doing him justice in how we're trying to behave and mimic his service to Mrs. Smith.
0: Yeah. And I think if uh, if you're maintaining his mantra of be nice, then I think Bruno would be proud. Um, I think that uh, trying to emulate that is um, uh, trying trying to emulate that is indeed difficult to, to justify that you've done justice to it. But that is the right place to be. And you know, you mentioned that um, Bruni Seen made it, it makes it simple. He's able to break it down and, and breaks things down to be simple. And, and a lot of times that's exactly what we need. But we also know uh, that the fire service isn't always so simple. And one of the things that we haven't talked about yet, and I kind of wanted to uh, segue into this probably final piece here about science and research. You know, at, at the time that Chief Bruno was alive and, and when he was chief, and uh, there were certainly a lot of things going on. And of course, uh, I, I did a class with Bruno where uh, it was called the old and new. And unfortunately, he was the old at the time and I was the new. And uh, what an honor to, to be there. But it really was interesting to hear his perspective Uh, from an era uh, frankly even my era at the time where there was no internet like you mentioned if we wanted to get our point across you had to write an article or or go to a conference or something to that effect uh, to this instantaneous environment instantaneous gratification Um, so the the things that he didn't have to deal with uh, f- from the perspective of having access to it, not that he didn't deal with it, but he just didn't have access to a lot of the new science and research that we are also able to put our fingertips on immediately. Uh, we talk about uh, flow path management, and you know, we talk about uh, the research that uh, NIOSH and NIST and uh, uh, UL are doing for everything in the fire service. Can you can you talk for a minute about how? You have been able to integrate all of that new science and research in a system that is predominantly volunteer. What what are the struggles or impacts for you with that, and what have you been able to to do to bring that to the table?
1: Sure, you know our journey into research and and science in the fire service is about twenty years into it now. Uh, the state of Montana sent me to Europe uh, in the early two thousands to. Uh, look at what they were doing and study it. And that uh, introduced us to guys like John Taylor and and the Swedish Fire Service and and all these things. And to answer your question, how do we do it? One, we have to get buy-in and ownership at the local level. So what we found to be successful was bringing those experts into our community and reenact and duplicate the testing that they see on the UL fire research website or that they've seen on youtube and by being able to to duplicate and reenact those experiments um, our membership became uh, more intrigued and more open to uh, understanding because they they could they could smell it they could taste it they could see it and they lived it and that allowed us to get momentum and then it became culture for us that they wanted to learn more and continue to be um, better Uh, Five years ago, we started using a device, uh, a small droplet piercing nozzle. Now, piercing nozzles have been around for generations, but that small droplet puts only 17 gallons a minute out at high pressure. Totally different approach to putting fires out. And when we started to do that research on it, our membership was blown away by it, and they took it and ran with it because they saw the value. We don't have hydrants in the rural area. We're dependent on tank water and and hauling water to the scene. So if we can maximize what water we brought in this application, we were able to produce a better result for the customer. And we started to see immediate advantages uh, on incidents, working incidents in our community where we did less physical damage. We put out the fire faster. We weren't there for six or eight or 10 hours, which impacted the volunteers considerably because that was time away from their family or their profession. So, By bringing it home and giving them ownership, we were able to grow and expand that. And it became an opportunity for them to fuel it on their own, and they started bringing more ideas to us to do more research on. So it was a pretty neat process for our organization. Yeah, uh,
0: it's great to get, like you said, get their hands on it. They can touch it, feel it, smell it, eat it. I mean, that is what uh, ultimately gets that buy-in. It has been difficult across the country to – get universal buy-in into flow path management and all of those different uh, uh, things that both NIST and UL have been working really hard with Dan Madrakowski and, and his group um, to, uh, to to get us as a fire service to wrap our hands around. Uh, you know, it, frankly, those theories have been around since uh, the 50s and 60s in the military fire service, but we as a uh, fire service just Wouldn't wrap our hands around it for some some reason. And uh, ultimately to take organizations like uh, uh, yours to get people get that vested buy in and get them working. And it's phenomenal that you've been able to do that with a predominantly volunteer force.
1: Yeah, Um, I think there's an opportunity opportunity there to to really highlight that the work that Madrakowski and Kerber and others have been doing piggybacks on work that's been done for generations, like you said. Sometimes I think as a fire service, we fear what we don't know. And so it's easy just to teach and replicate what we were taught and to be open and have the courage to expand what we don't know is, is critical for us to, to grow in in our service. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. It's,
0: it's uh, we're, we're afraid of what we don't know. Um, And, you know, I think, it goes back to the the principles of cheap Brunacini. And and like you, your article talked about being the voice of reason. um, We do miss that a lot. And uh, his, his mantra be nice. Isn't just about uh, uh, critically being nice. It's just an entire mantra of uh, slow down, take it easy and uh, pay attention to what's going on. So, So we have been talking with uh, Chief Jason Coy. He's the chief of the Laramie County, uh, Wyoming, Fire District Number 2. I want to thank everybody for joining us today. Uh, Keep safe, stay smart, and take this opportunity to just back away from the keyboard. We'll talk with you next time on Fire Rescue 1's Side Alpha Podcast.